Thank you, Matt. And uh, also thank you, Nancy, for faithfully week in and week out playing the piano. It's especially on Sundays like this that we really appreciate it. Since my voice is gone, I was not able to belt out singing like I usually do, throwing everybody off the key. Uh, this morning I was able to actually sit back and enjoy the singing that was going on and thinking, well, maybe I should do that more often. Well, good morning and welcome to the Family Bible Hour here at Faith Guelph Bible Assembly. We once again resume our studies this morning on the book of Exodus. And we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 to 29, as our main text. And once again, thank you, David, for reading this chapter for us earlier on. So if you still have your Bibles handy, would you turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 to 29. But as always, we'll bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank thee so much for this book called the Holy Bible. There is no other book like it on the face of this earth. We know that the wicked one does and has done everything in his power to discredit this book, to dilute it, to pervert it. But thanks be to God, by thy grace, it has been divinely preserved for us unto this day. And as we open its holy pages this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray that we might see thee fully revealed through those pages. May thy Holy Spirit grant us the ability to understand the text before us this morning. For we always ask it in thy name and for thy glory. Amen. In our last message on this wonderful book, we had studied chapter 9 and looked at the plagues of Moran, boils, and hellfire. And the plague of Moran, which struck the livestock of Egypt, was very difficult to identify its exact symptoms other than it was 100% fatal. And all the animals which were left in the fields died, but not a single animal in the land of Goshen where the Israelites lived, died. Nevertheless, even after Pharaoh had proof that not a single animal of the children of Israel had perished, he still hardened his heart and would not let Israel go. Then the next plague, that of boils, seemed to have been thrust upon Egypt without much warning, since there is no record of the usual conversation between Moses and Pharaoh. And in that plague, even the sorcerers of Egypt, Pharaoh's magicians, were stricken with this awful disease, so much so that they were not even able to stand before Moses. Verse 11 of chapter 9. Again, Pharaoh hardened his heart and refused to let Israel go. Finally, in that chapter, God poured upon Pharaoh and Egypt the plague of hail, stones, and fire, which finally destroyed everything that was in the field. For we read in verse 25 of chapter 9, 
And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and brake every tree of the field. Only those Egyptians who heeded God's warning and removed their cattle from the fields were spared. Again, showing God's grace is freely bestowed upon all who believe. Then in verse 26, it seemed as though Pharaoh had sincerely confessed his sin and his guilt. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. But it was short-lived, and there was no repentance behind it. For though Pharaoh said he would let Israel go, he again reneged on his word and hardened his heart as soon as Moses removed the plague. And also in that last chapter of Exodus chapter 9, verses 14 to 16, we were told why God was doing all of this, why God was punishing Pharaoh and Egypt in this manner. It was not only for his cruel treatment of uh, his people Israel that these plagues were brought upon them, but primarily that God would demonstrate to him, to Pharaoh and the people of Israel, uh, people of Egypt, as well as the people of Israel, that they all might know that there is none like me in all the earth, and that he, God, have raised thee, that is Pharaoh, up for to show in thee my power, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Sometimes God raises up bad men to great power and fame, only to later bring them down with his great power so that he, God, will be glorified in the process. No king or kingdom, regardless of their supposed power and might, is ever able to withstand the hand of God's judgment. And in that chapter, three more false deities of Egypt had been destroyed. And I trust you still have your sheet with you of all the false gods and goddesses of Egypt. We saw, number one, Hathor, the goddess of cattle, had been destroyed. Secondly, Isis, the goddess of medicine and peace, was destroyed. And thirdly, Shu, the god of air, was destroyed. Seven plagues and seven fallen false gods. Three more plagues would come before Pharaoh would finally capitulate and let Israel go. Thus our main text begins with, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show thee, uh, show thee signs before him, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. Now let me wander a little bit here and ask ourselves how or why. 
How or why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? That seems cruel and unjust if God is doing the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and also counterproductive. But remember that God sees the end from the beginning. He knows the heart of man. He knows our every thought. Nothing takes him by surprise. Remember also the circumstances. Pharaoh was the undisputed, absolute monarch and king of Egypt, and for that matter, revered and feared not only by the Egyptian people, but also by his other subjects, those uh, countries which Egypt may have controlled and ruled as well. So Pharaoh's rule was very widespread. His pride of position and authority consumed him and clouded his thinking on many occasions. His authority and power and his position as a god had now been openly challenged. He had become totally frustrated and morally defeated by his inability to deter Moses and Aaron in their mission. He was incapable of controlling any of the circumstances which he now faced. And as a result, his increasing frustration turned to fear and anger, so much so that it fueled his pride even more until his mind and his heart were no longer reachable by reason or common sense. And so in that way, we can say that the Lord was responsible for hardening his heart because God's power and control of the circumstances completely rendered Pharaoh powerless. Now we come to the actual meeting between Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh after they had received their next set of instructions from the Lord in verses 3 to 7 of chapter 10. And in this section, we also see a mini-conversation, so to speak, between Pharaoh and his servants. Up until this point, there did not seem to be any counsel given to Pharaoh by his servants. Thus Moses and Aaron, we read in verse 3, came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Please notice two important points in this simple verse. Number one, when Moses relays the message to Pharaoh, which God gave him, Moses uses direct discourse and not indirect discourse. Now, I want all of you to pay attention here and don't, don't fall asleep on me as some of you are capable of doing from time to time. That is, Moses uses the exact words which God used. And they, though given to Moses, were directed to Pharaoh. Moses says, thus saith the Lord God. And that which follows is direct discourse. So you young lads here and ladies, 
You'll learn this in high school grammar, direct and indirect discourse. Now, direct discourse, meaning that God himself was addressing and speaking to Pharaoh. These were God's words, not Moses's. How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? They were much more powerful, presented directly this way, than had they been watered down and rephrased or used indirectly, as in, God is asking why you refuse to humble yourself before him. You see, dear friends, doing it this way puts God in the background, in the distance. But using direct discourse, how long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me, puts God directly before Pharaoh and leaves Pharaoh no excuse for misunderstanding God's message. Secondly, there is a very severe lesson to be learned here by all of God's people. God's words are never to be trifled with. They are never to be watered down to accommodate the lack of understanding on the part of the hearers. For God's words are pure and quick. We read in Hebrews 4, 12, where the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints of the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And how many times have we heard preachers taking liberties with God's words, teaching out of perverted versions of the Bible, correcting translations of the King James, substituting their own ideas as to what God really said, no wonder there is no power in the pulpits today to convert souls, because when we water down God's message, he no longer is speaking. This lesson was brought home to me very clearly many years ago when I was teaching a grade nine class of students. A topic came up which gave me opportunity to preach the gospel indirectly. A debate soon ensued, and I found myself trying to explain on their level what the Bible taught. But the more I tried to simplify it for them, the more resistance I encountered. My common sense was telling me to leave it alone, but my spirit was telling me to say exactly what God said. And so I quoted verbatim one or two verses from the scriptures during that debate. And an interesting thing happened. Silence fell upon the classroom and the point was driven home. How amazing it is to see the transforming results in a person's life when they are confronted directly by God's pure word. And so Moses continues in verse 4, Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast, and they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of that which remaineth unto you, 
from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. And they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since that day, since the day that they were upon the earth, unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. Now in verse 7, we have here for the first time Pharaoh's own servants speaking up and giving Pharaoh caution. These were perhaps his ministers of state or advisors who had perhaps been more aware of the devastation that had already taken place in Egypt. If they were ministers of state, they surely would have had jurisdictions to supervise and to administer, and as a result would have seen with their very own eyes the damage that had been caused. And compiled reports from all of them gave a more horrifying picture because of the devastation that was so widespread. Consequently, their fear of Egypt's total destruction and their duty to their people forced them to clearly present the deplorable conditions which now beset Egypt, and that if he, Pharaoh, continued along this path, there would soon be no Egypt. Thus they strongly urged Pharaoh to let the Israelites go and serve their God. They conclude their entreaty or entreaty with quite a stern rebuke in verse 7. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? And once again it appeared that maybe, just maybe, Pharaoh might come to his senses during this private meeting with his servants, for he summons Moses and Aaron before the plague was brought upon them. He asks again of Moses, but who are they that should go or shall go? Verse 8. Moses, of course, gives him the same answer as always. All Israel shall go with all their livestock and belongings. Though Pharaoh was willing to let the men go to sacrifice, he would not let the little ones go. They would remain as hostages. You see the evil that Satan always brings into the mix. Knowing that the children of Israel would never leave without their little ones, Pharaoh thinks that he has the upper hand. He offered to let them go to sacrifice, but they would not go. It, of course, was not a choice at all. Thus Pharaoh drives Moses and Aaron out of his presence. The plague is therefore brought upon Egypt, and as Moses uh, stretches forth his rod again over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind, we are told, all that day and all that night, and in the following morning the locusts came in such large numbers that they covered the face of the whole earth, verse 15. That is all of the land of Egypt. There were so many that the sky was darkened with them. They blotted out the sun and the daylight. They consumed, we are told in verse 15, 
every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left, and there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field, though all through all the land of Egypt. Notice, please, that this was the eighth plague, the plague of locusts. This plague utterly destroyed anything and everything that may have remained from the previous plagues. There was nothing else to destroy, as we shall see in the way of Egypt's natural environment. Egypt, after this plague, was left a barren land. Not only was judgment poured upon Pharaoh and Egypt, but also upon their false deity, Senehem, the false god who was to be their god of protection against pests and insects. Eight plagues, eight fallen false gods. Verse 16, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Please notice again two important points in these last two verses. Number one, Pharaoh, remember, was previously counseled by his servants to let Israel go for the land is being destroyed. Well, now it was completely devastated. There was nothing left. Nothing to destroy. So Pharaoh with haste calls for Moses and Aaron to call off the plague of locusts. And during their conversation, Pharaoh confesses that he has sinned both against the Lord your God and against you. He immediately follows that with, now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. In other words, what Pharaoh was trying to say was this. If you remove this plague of death, I won't do it again. I know I have sinned. Forgive me. Give me one more chance. I won't do it again. Does that kind of begging sound familiar to you? Why, indeed it does. We have all done it. And we continue to do it. The old man, the old sin nature never seems to learn, does it? But God is ever gracious and merciful, not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that we are to forgive without limit. When Peter asked the Lord Jesus how many times he was to forgive someone, who sinned against him, the Lord replied in Matthew 18:22, I say not unto thee until seven times, but seventy times seven. And secondly, Pharaoh at this stage has accepted the fact that this God, who has brought all these plagues upon him in Egypt, is indeed a very powerful God, and that he is the God of the children of Israel. 
and is performing these feats through Moses. And as such, he would never be Pharaoh's God. For Pharaoh's pride would not allow him to come to genuine repentance in order to receive God's forgiveness and peace. There are many like that today in our society, aren't they? They know that God is powerful. They know that God exists. They know that God forgives, but they can't bring themselves to bending their knees before him and receiving their forgiveness. And like Pharaoh, they consistently harden their hearts. Then we come to the ninth plague, verses 21 to 29, the plague of darkness, but not just any darkness. This was a supernatural darkness, a darkness that could not be lit up. It was thick, damp, so that it could be felt upon the face and the body, a suffocating darkness, one in which no candle could be lit to shed some meager light, a darkness so thick you could not see the fingers on your hands. And for three days, all of Egypt lay in such darkness. Not a soul was able to move, but, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Nevertheless, somehow Pharaoh managed to contact Moses and Aaron amidst this plague and told them, Go ye, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. Pharaoh relented. He would be rid of this people now, every last one of them but he desired their cattle, for all of Egypt's livestock had been destroyed. There would be nothing to restock Egypt with. However, Pharaoh still did not understand the obligation which the children of Israel had to the Lord their God. All that they had had been given to them by their God and as such belonged to him. This we are told later on in Deuteronomy 8, 8. And dearly beloved, each and every one of us must realize this, otherwise we are doomed to lose it all. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto his fathers, as it is this day. I trust that there's no one here this morning who thinks that everything that they have accumulated thus far, they have done so on their own because of hard work or their talents. If you do, you are deceived. The only reason you have what you have today is because God has granted you the ability to have it. And so all their possessions must go with them. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go, verse 27. Then in verses 28 to 29, Pharaoh signs his doom, 
and passes the point of no return. He tells Moses that from this day forth, he shall not see Pharaoh's face again, for if he does, he, Moses, shall die. Moses thus concludes this chapter with a prophetic affirmation. Thou hast spoken well. I will not see thy face again no more. Nine plagues have come and gone. The ninth, that of darkness, also destroyed another false Egyptian deity, Ra, the sun god. Ra was their most powerful god, their god of light, and now he too has been defeated by the one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so ends our sermon for this morning. And Lord willing, we will continue our series on the book of Exodus sometime in the next few weeks. But now, as you all know, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you this. Are you serving the Lord or are you serving yourself? It's not a trick question. We all know the answer whether we are whether we are or are not. We don't need others to tell us. Week after week, we here at Faith always faithfully present the way of salvation so that there is no excuse for not knowing how to be saved. But what we perhaps have neglected to do is to challenge believers to examine themselves to see whether they be in the faith. Because there are unmistakable biblical tests to prove whether one is genuinely saved. And the one unmistakable test is John 14, 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Obedience to the word of God is non-negotiable for the Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee so much for this time together. And as we open thy word, each day we see our shortness of glory. We see how we have missed the mark, how we have sinned against thee, and what we need to do to repent and be drawn back to thee. But Father, we thank thee that salvation cannot be earned, that it is a gift of God. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of works, lest any of us should boast. And so, Father, as we read this story about Pharaoh and his hardened heart, I'm certain, if we are honest, that we can all identify with him. There have been many instances where we have hardened our hearts and continue to do so against the teachings of thy word. O oh Lord, help us to repent of those acts of disobedience. Help us to be drawn closer to thee day by day as we 
read thy word and become more and more like Christ our Savior. We thank thee for the time that we have been able to spend around his table this morning and ask thee now to part us with thy blessing. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together around his table. For we ask it in his name and for his glory.